Well, before I jump in this morning, a thought occurred to me that, that wasn't in, in, in my notes, but uh, I, I've, I've had a few moons over my teepee. I've been around, I've been in ministry for over uh, almost 30 years now, and in my experience, there are certain messages that when we hear them, a face comes to mind, and it's usually not our own. We're usually thinking of somebody else. And think like, oh, if only they heard this. Or I hope they're hearing what I'm hearing. And we hear it through the filter of how they can apply it to their life. So I just want to kind of set the stage as I talk this morning. That this isn't a flashlight for you to shine on someone else's life. That this is a mirror for you to be able to dig into your own life. Because one of the driving things, a foundational question that has been part of new life in our culture from the very beginning uh, is a question. So much so wired into it, as many of you know, this question is actually tattooed onto my right forearm, and it connects to what Jesus did and taught throughout his ministry, and then to drive his point home for us, he did the unimaginable. Uh, One of Jesus' closest friends named Matthew tells us something, and the very fact that Matthew, I once hated traitor to his people, would tell us anything that we should want or need to listen to connects directly to what Jesus did and taught, specifically what we're talking about this morning. But Matthew tells us that an expert in the law came to Jesus, and he tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. It's inseparable. You cannot do the first without doing the other. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, most of you, you've grown up in church, you've been in church long enough, you've, you've heard this maybe hundreds or thousands of times. And Jesus' core point is you cannot love God without loving others, including the hard to love. And the Apostle Paul, he affirms this in a letter that he wrote to the church in Galatia, a church that he planted when he wrote, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus, as he was preparing his departure from this earth, he gathers his closest followers together and he raised the bar. Jesus said, I know that you've got the 613 commands and laws, I'm giving you, I'm giving you one. I'm giving you a new command. He looks at them and says, a new command I give you. Love one another. Jesus, we've heard that. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. As I have loved you is implied. And again, the fact that these flawed, sinful, error-prone men were amongst Jesus' inner circle Every single one of them a rabbi reject in that culture. The fact that Jesus overlooked how irreligious and how unworthy they were and yet loved them and saw potential in them, it demonstrates this new radical kind of love that he is talking about. And then to drive his point home, to show what he meant by what he said, show what he meant by what he said, he allowed himself to be arrested and tortured and flogged and crucified to pay the price for our sins, not his. So all of this is captured into one simple, driving, clarifying question we repeat it often around here, and that question is, in light of what Jesus has done for me, what does love require of me? 
What does love require of me? And it's just such a powerful question. And I've had people in the U.S. and now abroad see my arm. They ask me about it. Why? Tell me about this. I'm like, I am horribly forgetful. I need post-its everywhere. And honestly, I am the most selfish person that I know. My wife, my wife, from the day I met her, she has always been so selfless and kind and generous when it comes to other people. But for me, far too often, it's not natural And here's the big problem with this question. The big problem with this question is why we're going to talk about it for the next few weeks is maybe you are in a relationship with someone. Maybe it's a work relationship or a family or there's a situation in your life and you know what love requires of you. You just don't know if you have what it takes to meet that requirement. In fact, here's how I would summarize the problem just with the title. What if love requires more of me than I have to give? What do I do if love is requiring me to do something that is beyond what I have within me to meet? Maybe it's in in your marriage. Maybe to show and do what love requires. It just seems impossible. Maybe there's a way that you've just always responded or reacted or interacted with your spouse and you're trying to change it to do what love requires of you. And you'd say, I don't I don't think I have it in me. I've tried and failed. Or you don't understand. If you knew what I knew and experienced what I'd experienced as a wife or as a husband, you would give me a pass. I just can't bring myself to do what that kind of love requires. Or maybe you have someone at work. It's like, oh my gosh, they're crazy. Like, they drive me crazy. They just flat out annoy you. And yet you're supposed to work with them and show them love. And it's like, show them love like I... I just can't do it. I know what love is requiring me to do, but I don't have that in me. Maybe it's a certain behavior or it's a certain pattern in your life. Uh, Maybe it's like you feel like at times you're your own worst enemy because maybe you go way overboard or you withdraw and get passive aggressive or whatever it is. Maybe it's a habit that you have carried through your life and how you interact with people or decisions that you make about yourself. Maybe you've had it since adolescence and no matter what you've tried, it's just like it's got its hooks in you and you just can't seem to break free. Or you're able to break free, it feels like for a while, but before long you fall back into the same pattern or just comes out of you like it always has in the past. You've tried to suppress it, you've tried to change it, you've tried to work, over, work around it, get over it, but it just keeps showing up. And It's like, I know what love is requiring me to do, but it is requiring more than I have to give. What if love requires a better me? Like, I want to do what love requires of me to do, but love is requiring a better me than I actually am. One of my favorite statements in all of the New Testament is actually from the Apostle Paul. And it's one of my favorites because of how raw and real and so relatable it is when he says, I don't understand, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I, what I hate, I do. So I find this work, this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Ever felt that way? I mean, ever look back and you go... I knew that wasn't a good idea. I knew I shouldn't say this. I knew I shouldn't do this. I, but I did it anyway. What is wrong with me? We all have. In fact, I've often half-joked. I feel like I just need to wear a t-shirt all the time that just says, I'm sorry on it. Just to just wear that all the time. It's just, I, I'm sorry. But the, the challenge is, even though we know this, even though we know we should be better, we give ourselves a pass. 
We make excuses for ourselves. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't help it. I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 3, so I just overcommit and I try to please everybody. Or I, I can't help it that I hurt your feelings. I'm, I'm an 8. I don't have time to worry about your feelings. Or the reason I'm emotionally constipated and lack compassion is because, because I'm a 7, so just deal with it. Or my dad was like this, or my mom was like this, or I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert. You know, this is just, this is just me. You're just going to have to deal with it. Or you say things like, well, that, that was just the way I was raised. Or if you only knew what I'd been through, you'd understand. I mean, ever said anything along these lines to someone else to give yourself a pass? It's basically we say, I I wish I could do the right thing. I wish I could do what love requires of me, but I can't. I just don't have it in me to do that. All of us have done a version of this, and we give ourselves a pass. Yet what's interesting is we aren't as quick to give other people a pass, are we? If someone says to you, hey, it's, it's just not in me, I can't help it, you don't go, oh, well, that makes sense. Never mind. No, you're like, what? You, you can't just say that. You can't just make, say that as an excuse for how you're acting or how you're treating me or going overboard or pulling back or avoiding your responsibilities. Like, no, you need to get better. You need to grow. You need to change. You need to mature. I mean, just imagine uh, you've got a five-year-old. Some of you, you've had them. You have them right now. You know, your precious little kindergartner, wonderful child, never been in trouble, always does the right thing, and comes home from school one day, says, Mommy, Lucas bit me. Lucas bit me on the playground. What do you do? You set up a conversation with the teacher, and you get the other parent in the room, and little Lucas say, hey, let's talk about this. Your, your Lucas bit my daughter. And then what if that parent goes, oh, I'm sorry, but did he really? I, that's just what he does. You know, Lucas is a biter. He just bites. You know, we, we've tried to change him. We've tried to help him. But he can't change. It's just who he is. It's just what he does. You go, well, that might fly in your home, but it's not flying in school. And I've personally given her permission to punch him square in the mouth the next time he does it. Or maybe you've got somebody at work, and they just can't be anywhere ever on time. They're always late to every meeting. I mean, ever work with someone like this? Like every meeting, they're late. Every day, they're late to work. And you finally confront them about that. And you, and you just, it's, hey, it just feels like you're late to everything. And they go, oh, you know, that's just who I am. I've been late my whole life. My, my wife complains about it. My parents said I was born late. So I just, I, I'm just a late person. So you're just going to have to deal with it because that's just me. You're like, no. There's a better version of you out there somewhere. You need to go find them, or you're going to find another job. See, all of us have those things where, for whatever reason, we give ourselves a pass, but with other people, we don't. So what do we do? What do we do when love requires more than we have to give, or it requires a better version of you than you currently are? Because this is rarely about needing more knowledge, I mean, it isn't that we don't really know what God wants from us or what love requires, but how do you become a better person? How do you grow your character? How do you change the things in your life that have always tripped you up that, if we're honest, we make excuses for? Because I I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes it just feels like in this life we are running up an escalator that is going down. That no matter how hard you run up, over time, you only, it feels like you only make so much progress, and if you stop the running, things just go downhill. Like you stop paying attention to your health, what's going to happen? It's going to get worse. 
you got to work at it. And if you don't pay attention to your car, eventually it's going to break down. If you don't pay attention to your golf game, it will get worse. Maybe you used to play an instrument, but you haven't played it in a long time, and you thought, you know, I was once pretty good. If I picked it up today, not so good. It just because life is like this downward going escalator. And when it comes to getting better as a person, to grow and mature as a person, to grow in our character, again, it just feels like we're running up this escalator that's constantly going down. I mean, if you've ever thought, you know what, I'm going to change. I am just going to be more disciplined. I'm just going to try to be more disciplined. I'm going to try to have more self-control. I'm just going to try to be less angry. I'm going to try to be more gentle. I'm going to try to be better with my spouse or with my kids. And initially, you do a pretty good job at it because you're focusing on it. You're working on it. You're concentrating on it. And you become a better you for a while. But then it just gets exhausting. And you slip up again. And it just feels like you get knocked down again. And the elevator just takes you back to the bottom. And then you're just exhausted and frustrated and disheartened because it's like I'm starting it all over again. Now the good news is that Jesus had something to say about this. When he was walking this earth, his followers knew exactly what it took to have a relationship with him because he was here. They could see him. God in Abad, but he knew that the time was coming when he wasn't going to be, be there face to face to help. So he helps prepare them and ultimately us for the time that he's not going to be here face to face. Because then it's like, okay, he's going to be in heaven. Uh, we're supposed to have a relationship with an invisible God. What does that look like? And in this conversation, Jesus is going, it teaches us and is going to teach us that in a relationship with him, as he's going to describe it and explain it, that change and growth and, and, and maturity is not just possible. It's inevitable. And Jesus gives us the secret to escaping and getting off the elevator or the escalator. And the crucial ingredient that is needed to actually be able to do what love requires of us. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this one conversation that we had of Jesus in John 15. And for some of you, this is going to feel very familiar. For others of you, it's going to be like you hear this for the first time. It's one of the most important and familiar images that Jesus gives us of what it looks like to follow him and how we can and should relate to him. Again, John 15, verse 1, he says, uh, this is how it starts. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. And for some of you, that, that, that might be hard to process and accept. My, my hope is that this, as we move through this, it'll give you enough to help you embrace that. I am the true vine. Then he says, and my father, God, he is the master gardener. He takes care of the garden. And on week three, we're going to come back to God's role in our life. But down in verse five, Jesus continues defining roles. I am the vine. You are the branches. Okay, Jesus, what does that even mean? Now, everybody in this context, they knew how vineyards work. Jesus said, let me explain it to you this way. And there were vineyards everywhere. So he may have gestured or he may have actually just walked over and steps over and says, listen, I'm the vine. I'm like this vine, and this vine is connected to the ground. And whenever it needs life or it draws life and it draws nutrients from the ground, and then you... You're this branch. You're like this branch that's growing off the vine. He says, that's your role to play. He says, when, when I'm gone, 
Don't get confused. Don't get confused and start thinking that you're the vine, that you're the source, that you're the source of the change that needs to happen or that I want to happen, that you want to happen in your life. The source of the fruit. No, you are the branch. And a branch by itself cannot produce life. Branches can only produce life if what? If it's connected to the vine. He says, I am the true vine. And as humans, as young people, as teens, as men and women, you're going to be tempted to try and connect to a lot of different vines. But don't forget what I'm telling you. You're the branch. I'm the vine. And this is the relationship that a vine and a branch have with one another. If you remain in me, if you remain in me and I in you, if you remain, it's such a powerful word. It's if you abide in me, if you stay fully connected to, if you live together with, if you stay in the same room with and occupy it together, stay close to me. If you stay close to me and I stay close to you, this is the relationship that God wants to have with you and with me. And this is very different than any other relationship in your life. Some of you, if you're honest, you kind of view God as a boss. Like the boss tells me what to do and not do, and I do this and I don't do that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because see, a boss, the problem with viewing God as a boss, is a boss only has influence with you when you're on the clock. It's temporary. When you're not on the clock, how much influence does your boss have on you? None. So a boss has limited influence on you. And Jesus said, if you want to understand the relationship that God desires to have with you, think the perfection of Father. But this relationship is even closer than a parent-child relationship because eventually a child, hopefully, leaves home at some point outside of the parent's supervision. He says, every other relationship has temporary influence on you. But what makes a relationship with me different is that my spirit will live in you. I'm going to be in you, always. And God in you should be way more powerful than any influence on you. And Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now what's he talking about? Fruit, fruit throughout the Bible, especially in Galatians, is described as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's that invisible part of you, that real you, that, that it's your character, your maturity. And all of these, by the way, are what love requires of us. I mean, let me flip it. This is the kind of person you want to be married to. This is the kind of person you want your kids to become. This is the kind of person you want to work for. Somebody that's characterized by these traits. And this all of these are what love, as Jesus defines love, requires. And now we know the key. Now we know the answer. How do we actually and increasingly do what love requires of me? Jesus says, here's the answer. If you remain in me and I remain in you, there's going to be this supernatural character growth in your life. So much so that people are going to meet you that maybe haven't seen you for a while. And they go, there is something different about you. Like, you've changed. And for the better. Like, you're just, you're more loving. You, you just seem more peaceful. It's like you're more patient. When you used to just either blow up or you get passive aggressive or you just withdraw, that is the fingerprint of God. That has God written all over it. Because there was the old you. 
that didn't used to remain in him. And now there's this new you. This new you. And the longer you remain in him. Just like a vine and fruit. And over time, more and more fruit develops and grows. Where once there was nothing but weeds or just nothing. That's what happens. That's how this works. I mean, some of you, you've experienced this. You flip it. You know, you've met somebody that you haven't seen in a while. And one day you cross paths. And it's like they're a radically different person. It's like you used to have the worst temper, but now it's just like you're the most patient person. Like, how? Like, why did this happen? Or maybe it's someone that they were just filled with anxiety and just always so stressed out. And now the things that used to just wind them up and twist them up, it's just like it's not that big of a deal anymore. My wife is just a, Shauna is a perfect example of this. And it isn't that she doesn't deal with anxiety or anxiousness from time to time. But as she shared publicly here a few years ago when I interviewed her at New Life, uh, there was a time when her depression and anxiety was so crushing and immobilizing, she couldn't even get out of bed for days at a time. And now, oh my gosh, it's like she's a totally different person. Or maybe it's the person in your life who is so impatient or impulsive or in a rush and squeezing life out of everyone, and now you run into them, it's like, I, for the first time, I actually kind of enjoy being around you because you're just more peaceful. They're just not in a rush. What happened? That's supernatural character growth. And Jesus doesn't say a little bit of fruit. He says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, lots of fruit, if you intentionally and consistently stay connected and close to me. Because the only other alternative, and most of us in this room or online have experienced exactly what Jesus says next. He says, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Like nothing, Jesus? Yeah, apart from me, it's not going to happen. And now some of you, you might say, well, you know, I'm a better person than I used to be, and I don't even consider myself a Christian. I'm I'm a better version of me. But the problem is, when it comes to a God who loves you, you being a better you is not the goal. The goal is for you to be like Jesus. And Jesus wasn't just a better human. I mean, Jesus laid his life down for you. He laid down his preferences for you and for me. And you can become a better you by imitating Jesus, but Jesus wants way more for you and from you. Jesus says, I want something for you, something in you that is unmistakably me, but it only happens if you remain in me. So I'll describe it this way. If I said, hey, for the next 12 months, I'm going to give you a full year's worth of LeBron James how-to videos. For those of you who don't know, LeBron James basketball. Okay, he says, I want you to watch him. In fact, your work has already agreed to give you a whole year off. I've got you a gym where you can have all the stuff that you need to become like LeBron. He's even agreed to come and train you every single day for a year. Just imitate LeBron. I want you to shoot the way he shoots, dribble the way he dribbles, defend the way he defends. I want you to do nothing but wake up and go to bed and think, WWLD, what would LeBron do? And then I'm going to come back in a year, I'm going to check on you. And when I come back, how are you going to be doing? Not that well. In fact, you're probably going to be exhausted and frustrated. And if I go, why? Why are you not pay- playing like LeBron? 
You know, why aren't you at his level yet? I gave you all the time. I gave you all the tools, all the knowledge. I mean, LeBron, you know, and you lived it. You seem committed. WWLD, what's the problem? And you say, because I'm not LeBron James. He has something that I don't have and I will never have. It's not in me. And Jesus would say, now you're starting to understand. You being like me, that's not in you either. You being the person that God wants you to be by yourself, it's not really in you. You're you're just trying to run up on an escalator going down. But Jesus says the good news is you focus on remaining, I'll focus on producing the fruit in your life to the point where people will look at your life and go, whoa, there's something different about you. You've changed. It's for the better. What happened? And I'll tell you what happened. Jesus did what he promised he would do. He promised he would produce fruit in you. But again, this is an invitation. It has to be our choice, which implies there is an option too. And Jesus tells us what it is. He says the other option is if you do not remain in me, which you're free to do, you are like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. And it is the, such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Essentially he's saying disconnected from the vine, a branch has no use and no function. If you're someone and it's your job to walk through the vineyard or walk through the field and keep it up in good order and you see a branch on the ground, it doesn't matter if it just fell off and it's even still got green leaves on it or it's been there for a year. You'd say, well, that branch is no longer any good. It's not going to produce anything. It's going into the fire because it doesn't have any function or use on its own. And Jesus is saying, and you are the same way. Apart from me, the kind of life and love that I'm offering you, you cannot do it without me. It's not in you. But if you'll connect with me and remain in me, I will remain in you, and I'll be able to do things in and through you that you never thought were possible. He continues in verse 7, and he says it in another way. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So not just physically, not just spiritually, but even my words. And some of you, you get this, because many of us, if not all of us, if I asked it this way, can you think of somebody in your life that their words have just stuck with you through time? Some of you, there were words said to you as a child, but because of who said them, They have lodged in your mind and heart. Some of you, there were words said to you as a child, but because of who said them, you remember them like they were yesterday. And it affected you, either for the good or for the bad. Some of you, words were said to you that affected your sense of self-worth so deeply that it it has directed the entire course of your life. Every relationship, every decision, every career move, your confidence level, the risk that you are and are not willing to take. So it's not surprising that Jesus would say a lot of words are going to come your way. Let my words surpass them all. And I will remain in you because if you'll do that, and this is quite a promise, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's like, 
okay, is that saying what I think it's saying? Like, ask anything, it'll be done for you. I am finally going to get that Jeep Sahara edition, the Toyota Tacoma I've been wanting for years but cannot afford because I raised four small humans or a new house and a fully furnished, fully finished, big fat bank account and house. That's not what Jesus is saying. As my Bible college professor said, always context is king. Remember, Jesus is talking about fruit. He's talking about character. He's talking about supernatural maturity and growth, the ability to actually do what love requires, to transform that thing in you that trips you up again and again. and to, it, it just hurts you. It hinders your relationships. It hurts people around you. It causes you to be your own worst enemy. Jesus says, ask me to change it. Ask me to change it. And don't, don't just focus on it. Don't just work harder. Don't just try harder. But remain in me. Remain in me and ask me to change it. And this isn't like a one-time thing like January 1st. Jesus changed this. I'll be back next January 1st to see if it all worked out. No. Remain in. Stay connected. Continue to ask. Lean into my words. Learn from my words. Lodge them in your heart. And then let that combine with the work of what Jesus introduced as the helper, the Holy Spirit, that comes into you to help you when you entrust your life to Jesus. And over time, Jesus says, I can prune and feed and nurture what has been withered. And over time, it will produce new growth and new maturity in you. And it's going to bloom and blossom and produce fruit. Just ask me. You, you have anxiety and want peace? Remain in me. You feel like a coward and you want to be courageous? Remain in me. You feel prone to or you've had other people tell you you're prone to anger? Remain in me. You, you feel like you don't have self-control? Remain in me. You feel prone to tantrums and frustration, but you don't know how to change it? Remain in me. Can't be disciplined about anything? Remain in me. And ask me for it, and I will work in you. And over time, not overnight, I will begin to change you. See, when it comes to what love requires... If you'd say, I feel weak when it comes to doing love requires, God says, of course you feel weak. You are weak. But he says, here's the good news. It's not about what you can do. It's about what I can do. In fact, maybe the greatest thing you could do is just say today, you know what, by myself, I can't. I just, by myself, I can't. And I think God will go, all right, now we're getting somewhere. You're right, you can't, but I can through you just Remain in me and I'll remain in you. Just stay close to me and I will infuse my life in you and through you to produce things in you that you never thought possible. That's what remaining is. See, when a branch feels weak, the branch doesn't try harder. The branch can only rely on the vine. Now, we don't have a lot of vineyards in Kansas, and I have thoughts on the vineyards in Kansas that I'll not share, but uh, this, this will give you a bit of a visual. So this is actually a limb on a tree, a maple tree I planted and about three years ago, this particular limb had, uh, there was a windstorm and it almost snapped completely off. But about one-fourth of it stayed connected and I was, a and was able to draw from that tree. In fact, I even did like a little bit of support because I really wanted to keep this limb. And now you look at it now. It's like fully restored and stronger than ever and like the whole branch is thriving. And 
the only way for you and I, the only way that you and I are going to get life as a branch is to every single day draw life, draw the source of strength from the tree, from the vine, to draw on God's power. And here's how we do it. Through constant consideration and intentional investment in relationship with Him. Constant consideration of and intentional investment in. Here's what I mean. Maybe the closest word picture that we're given in Scripture, uh, what it looks like, the relationship with God and the kind of relationship that He wants to have with us is a husband and wife. Now, none of us experience a perfect marriage, but that's the best picture we have. And what do you do in a good marriage? You constantly consider the other person. How is this going to affect him or affect her. Somebody says, hey, Chad, you want to go to a Shockers game tonight? Well, of course I do. I don't need to ask permission. But what happens? I immediately think of Shauna. How is this going to affect her? How is this going to affect us? What else has been going on in her life? Or last year, we needed to replace one of our vehicles. Did I just go out and pick one? No. Especially because this was going to be my wife's primary mode of transportation. So I involved her because I like sleeping in my bed. And more than that, I prioritized her and her preferences. I made consideration of her top priority. But especially as men, we need to know constant consideration in marriage is great and important, but it's not very romantic. It's not what most women dream about. That, like That's part of the equation, but they also want intentional investment, quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, demonstrated affection and pursuit and dates and adventure to make her feel cherished and valued. Ladies, if you agree, you can say amen. All right. But as a husband, not surprisingly, I have found that if consideration through the week was consistent, the intentional investment in our, our dates, our time around the chim- chimenea, so much better. When there's been a week worth of thinking about and considering the other person. I can also tell you that you can't really have one without the other. If you never consider the other person, dates are kind of useless. But if you don't have the date, there's no spark. There's no romance. So you've got to have both. Constant consideration of and intentional investment in. And that's what it looks like to remain in Jesus. You constantly consider, how will this decision affect my relationship with God and the people around me that he said to love him is to love them? How how is this going to make that better? Is this the way that God would have me love other people? Is this the way he would have me live? Like, Jesus, I can't make this decision without considering and thinking about you. And then there's the intentional investment in. You know what this looks like? What does intentional investment look like when it comes to your body? When you want it to be stronger or healthier. Diet and exercise. We all hate those words. It's implementing this daily or weekly pattern of what you eat and what you drink and getting regular exercise. Spiritual growth and strength and maturity. Not that different. It's implementing a daily or a weekly pattern of behavior and what you consume and how you exercise the living out of your faith. It's why many of us, we spend time in Scripture first thing in the morning. It's why people turn off their radio in their cars and go, I've got like a 10-minute or 20-minute drive to work. God, I'm going to just spend this time intentionally talking to you. Eyes open. 
once more than once, you know, Shauna, which I'm just saying as a guy, this is a great thing to be caught doing. She's opened the door to my office and seen me on my knees at my office chair praying. Or for me, on the way to the Y, is usually like I'm, I'm praying in the morning. That drive is a little longer now since Andover's been, had a glitch. Uh, you know, I turn off the radio and I just talk to God on my drive. Sometimes I arrive early or I arrive and I just turn off the car and I sit there a little longer. Not because I'm trying to postpone the pain, but because we're not done yet. And I've been in a season in the past couple years, two or three years, where instead of just reading the text, I've spent a lot of time in my, my audio Bible. And my dramatized audio Bible, which makes it super interesting. And, and when I'm doing all that, and when I'm doing these things in the morning, what am I doing? I'm working to align my heart with the heart of my Father for the day, to pour out all my stress and my concerns for the day, which are many. And it's why people open up their Bible or their Bible app in the morning and go, I want to study your words, I want to start the day with your words, because I want your words to be in me as I face another unpredictable day. It's a constant consideration of an intentional investment in. That's what it looks like to remain in Him. And if you'll remain in Him, you'll be able to draw on His power. So let me ask you the question we started with. What if love requires more of me than I have? In light of this claim from Jesus, can love require more of you than you have? And the answer is not if He's in you. If He's in you, and you're in Him, and you're connected to Him, there is nothing that love can require of you that you don't or won't have inside of you. You you can't, but He can through you. So this week, maybe for the first time ever, just this week, I just want you to really practice remaining in Him. I want you to practice having starting your day with giving consideration of and intentionally investing in a relationship with Him, and then watch for other opportunities through the day. And today I want to do something a a little different. I want to pray directly for you, and to start out, if you don't mind, uh, I want to pray for all the men, and I'm going to do something uh, that's a little different, and I don't want to embarrass you, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I think will embarrass you, but I just like all the men in the room to stand up. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna pr- to pray for you. Now, men, here's what I know. Uh, I'm just like you. I'm busy. Uh, I'm busy. I have things that, that weigh on me in my mind. I find it difficult to push out of my mind all of the things that I feel like I've got to do or should be engaged in. They just race around my mind. And the one thing that we learned today, men, is that everything that you do this coming week and everything that I do Jesus said, everything we do this week, if, it's, if we're not connected to Him, it's ultimately worthless. You cannot be the man that God has called you to be, the husband that God's called you to be, the single man God's called you to be. You can't be what your wife needs you to be, what your kids, dads, what your kids need you to be. You cannot be that man that God truly wants you to be and truly and consistently do what love requires of you if you're not remaining in Him. So I just want to end today praying for the the guys, and then we'll do the same for the women. God, I'm so grateful that we can look to you, call you Father. 
Father, for every man listening to me who's thinking I'm too busy, I've got too much to do, I've got so much I need to accomplish, God, would you give every man listening to me and myself the ability to see and feel and know without a doubt that anything we accomplish is worthless if we're not connected to you. Father, this week, would you give me and every man listening a sense of urgency that they need to remain in you, whatever that looks like for them, guiding them individually what it looks like to consider you in everything and invest in their relationship with you intentionally. And as they do that, Father, that you would begin to show us the kind of fruit you want to bear in our lives, that you would produce in me and every man listening to my voice, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness and self-control for us and for everyone that looks to us for love and relationship and friendship. Make us the kind of men that if the next generation of men reflect us, that the world will be a better place. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Guys, you can sit down. So ladies, if you wouldn't mind standing up. Now ladies, I don't have a clue what it's like to be a woman. I only know what I've been told. But to truly experience what it's like to be a woman, impossible. So instead of me praying for you, I have asked Kathy Nunez to come and pray for you. Kathy is a mom, a professional, a wife. She loves God, the church. She loves others. Uh, she recently launched uh, a women's group that meets. And so she understands all that it entails. So I'm going to have her pray for, for you. God, I pray that you just take a blanket and just bring it over all of the women today. I pray that you bring their love, the peace, the joy that is needed as it just falls over their head, over their shoulders. Just wrap a blanket so it goes around them. I pray as they go through their day, that many women have to wear different hats as they go through their day. Some work full-time at home. Um, some are out of the home. Some are raising a children. And that is their full-time job. They have many different things that are pulling, pushing, grabbing them, keeping their pressure so it stays on their day. And just like Pastor Chad had said, sometimes we feel like we're going up that escalator. We don't know how to be able to get to the top. And sometimes we just start packing our backpack full of everything we can to be able to try to make it that we can do it ourselves and not rely on God. I pray that you just bring all of these women of all of the things they're going through of this day, of this month, of this season, and just bring it so that instead they're unpacking their backpack and they're leaving it instead. And so they're just feeling your presence, your love, your peace, your joy just spread over the top of them as they're instead, they're relying on you that it has Jesus walking beside them as they're going up that escalator through their day. God, I pray you just bring all this to all the women throughout this week. Amen.